right. Today we are having a little look at those passages, uh, that passage in Matthew, Matthew 5, 21 to 26. We will reference that in a moment as we go through. But anger, if I say the word anger, what do you think of? What comes to mind when I mention the word anger? Maybe it's a driver, uh, nervous, unsure, a, a new road layout, a big roundabout, scary options, and the driver behind who knows exactly where they're going. They know exactly where they need to be. This is their daily commute. And you, you that nervous driver, are holding them up. The honk on the horn, the shouted word as the driver tries to get past. Maybe when I say, mention the word anger, you think of a time when someone was angry. Or maybe, maybe even you were that angry driver. You were the one who knew where you were going. You were the one who happened to be five minutes late. You have come across the learner driver who's stalled it at the hill start. Maybe you were that person who honked that horn. Today we are going to be looking at what Jesus taught about anger. We've been looking, as I mentioned earlier, these last few weeks at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, starting in chapter 5. And our reading today starts in verse 21. Verse 21 of Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That verse tells us that murder equals judgment on the one who does it. That wasn't anything new then, and it isn't anything new now. The passage says, you've heard this and known this from long ago. All the way back in Exodus chapter 20, one of the Ten Commandments is, do not murder. The people of the day would have been taught. They would have been taught those verses in Exodus for generations. And today, we would agree, do not murder. Murder is wrong. If you murder someone, there is a penalty to pay. You will be judged. And I'm sure that we all agree with that. So, so far, so good. But Jesus says some more in the first half of verse 22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his that is angry with his brother without cause will be subject to judgment. Where am I at? There we are. Jesus says that even being angry with someone even being angry is wrong. It's serious stuff. Anger is not part of God's kingdom. And so it shouldn't be part of his people. We then read in the second half of verse 22. <coughs> Again, anyone who says to his brother Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. This word raka means contempt. 
It's to treat people as unimportant, as worthless, not worth your time. Jesus says being like that means you are answerable to the Sanhedrin. It meant back then that to act that way to other people meant you would be brought before the leaders of that day. But Jesus goes a little further. He opens up the meaning of that very, uh, that simple verse in Exodus chapter 20 and goes to explain its meaning. Jesus explains that even having this bitterness against other people, that doesn't leave us just answerable to the rulers of the day, but actually leaves us answerable to God. The actual words used is that it leaves us in danger of the fire of hell. On a little side note, I noticed when reading this passage, how interesting it is to see that Jesus speaks often about judgment, the problem of sin, and the damages and dangers of them. He speaks of hell and the consequences. Yet so often our church pulpits avoid this subject that Jesus does not shy away from. So we see from these first two verses that all the way back there in Exodus, that verse of do not murder is not just about our actions. It's about our attitudes too. It's attitudes as well as actions. Here we see our attitudes matter. Our attitudes matter as much as our actions. Actions, like murder, we know are obviously wrong. The angry outburst and the heated words, they're obviously wrong. They're open for people to see. They're visible. But here, Jesus shows that behind those outward actions are inward attitudes. Simply the fact that we've managed to contain our frustration and not blow our top isn't enough. We all know, I'm sure, that an angry outburst is just the tip of the iceberg. They say, don't they, that with icebergs, 90% uh, of the iceberg is below the surface. There's just a little bit visible on the top. In the same way, behind an angry outburst, there's an awful lot that's gone on under the surface. Whether that be bitterness or frustrations that have built up over time. So what is the essence of sinful anger? If you boil it down, well, I had a look on the old internet and the internet definition of anger is a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. So if we're trying to work out what is anger in our lives, I thought one of the easiest ways to start is what anger isn't. We are not angry, are we, when our children do as they are told. When our children do as they should, we are not angry. When the roads are clear and we face no hold-up, we are not angry. When things go to plan, we are not angry. 
when the food is ready on time and it's good and it tastes nice, we are not angry. So what sort of things do make us angry? Well, it's when people don't do as we want. It's when things don't go as we planned. We've all seen, those of us in the farming community, the usually gentle, quiet farmer get angry as the sheep takes a left turn when it should have turned right. Only last Sunday I was away speaking. And I, I, I've, on our way home after speaking a sermon very similar to the one I'm speaking today about anger, we were coming home over a quiet country road and it was a very narrow road. There was barely, certainly not room to pass two vehicles. But there was plenty of grass on either side, and it was level off either side. And I was coming along in our little Peugeot, and there was somebody coming towards me. And he was in a great big pickup. And me, I have to, I must confess, I could tell by the way this man was driving that he thought I was a country, I was a townie who wasn't going to get off the road. He was coming and he was coming down the middle of the road. And I, to my shame, did the same. I thought, well, I ain't moving off this road. I thought, I'm go I'm not I thought he's, got the he's got a pickup. He can put two wheels on the grass. I'm in a little car. Surely that's what he should do. And as I went at some considerable speeds toward him, at the last minute, I realized he wasn't going to move. He wasn't going to move. And I, in my annoyance and anger, I turned off the road, wazzed along the grass, back onto the road, and carried on. I was angry because he wasn't doing what I thought he should. That is what anger is. When we take the place of God, we think that things should be done our way. When we think things should be done our way. We're angry, aren't we, when things don't go as we want. We're making ourselves more important than we should we're making ourselves king of our lives, and that is God's place. Bitterness, anger, and hostility to others are all like small weed seeds in a flower bed. And like that weed seed, they grow. And before long, the flower bed that should be lovely and fragrant is full of stinging nettles. This is the danger of allowing bitterness, anger, and hostility to take over and to take root in our lives. It pushes God from his rightful place as the King and the Lord of our lives. Sometimes we forget that God sees what others can't see. He not only sees our actions, but he sees our attitudes as well. He sees the thoughts and the attitudes, those seeds of resentment and annoyance, he sees them all. In Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. God sees our thoughts and attitudes as well as our outworked actions. If we could just go back a verse to the verse before our reading, that's verse 20, verse 20 of chapter 5, we read, For I tell you that unless you, 
For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean to surpass the righteousness of the teachers and the Pharisees? That's a huge statement, especially to make in that day. In that day, the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers, they were seen as being righteous. But the reality is, as Jesus showed through his time here on earth, the Pharisees were known for show and outward appearance. Do not murder. They hadn't. They hadn't murdered, so they felt they ticked that box. But yet we see, not much later in the Gospels, that they themselves are plotting to kill and to murder Jesus. They were maybe not going to do the deed themselves, but they were plotting inwardly. They were plotting inwardly. You see, the Pharisees were known for show, yet we have to be changed on the inside. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. So how does this all look in our lives? What is the, the great benefit of living as Jesus would have? Well, in previous weeks here at chapel, we looked at verses 13 to 16 of, my, of chapter 5. It's all going to go. Verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We are called to be salt and to be light. We all know, don't we, you put a little salt on your chips or a little bit of salt on an icy road, the huge difference that that makes. If we live a kingdom life, we will make a huge difference in the area that we live. Just like turning on a light in a dark room, just as last night I went out at half one in the morning to fasten our hens in as I'd forgotten, it was hard work in the dark, but with a torch, with a light, it was easy, it was possible. It made a huge difference. If we live in accordance with God's word, and if we allow him to be the Lord of our lives, it will affect our attitudes as well as our actions. What a difference there'd be in our lives. We'd stand out as different in our families. We'd stand out as different in our communities. As Christians, as Christians, we're citizens not of England, not of the United Kingdom, not even of Europe, but of heaven. We are heaven's citizens. In heaven, this kind of anger does not exist. So we're called to live that way here below. 
not to put ourselves first. We've to have no desire to simply look out for number one, as is the way of the world. We're to look to Jesus. We're to put him first before ourselves, and then all the rest will fall into place. Then we will be salt and we will be light in this world. In the verses that follow, in the verses that follow, we see some of the practicalities of living for Jesus. In verses 23 to 24, if you have your Bibles with you. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother then come and offer your gift. It says that if your brother has something against you, not that you have something against your brother, but if, you, if your brother has something against you, the responsibility is on us to reach out in reconciliation, to ask for forgiveness. Take the difficult step. Swallow our pride. The onus is on us. That passage tells us and reminds us that relationship issues spoil and alter our worship before God. Verses 25 to 26. Settle matters quickly. These verses are summed up in them three words. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Deal with it quickly. Anger, bitterness, resentment are all destructive and corrosive. Left, they spoil and destroy. The sooner they are dealt with, the better. Like a weed seedling, it's easier to uproot early rather than after time. Ask for forgiveness from anyone you have wronged and ask God's help in guarding your heart from bitterness. These verses show us that not just wrong actions are sinful, but also wrong attitudes. Jesus' teaching here, Jesus is teaching here, not simply a list of rules that must be kept in order to be saved, but they are to highlight the sin in our lives, to show us our need of forgiveness, to show us our need of him. If anyone here has never come to God seeking forgiveness for that first time, then come to him today. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he, that is God, is faithful and will forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But even for us that have been saved a long time, it's important that we guard our hearts against anger and bitterness. And we can and we should ask for forgiveness when we fail and let him down. As Christians, we'll still slip up and make mistakes. Bitterness and anger will flare up. What's important and is the mark of a Christian 
as we read at the beginning of chapter 5, is that our sin should make us mourn. We should realize that we are poor in spirit. We sin when we try to make ourselves king of our lives. To guard not just our actions, but also our attitudes, let us give Jesus his rightful place as king and as Lord of our lives. Amen. Our last hymn as we, uh, as we close says, More about Jesus would I know, more of his grace to others show, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me. Someone once said to me, they said, how do I become more like Jesus? I said, how do I come more, become more like Jesus? They said, no matter how hard I try, I still seem to fail. And my advice just at that time, a very quick remark uh, made to me without a lot of time to think, I said, instead of trying to be like him, just get to know him. And I thought that's probably not a bad way place to start. Get to know Jesus. Get to know him as your Lord and as your saviour and as your friend. More about Jesus would I know, more of his grace to others show, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me.